Good morning and welcome to, oh, it's not good morning anymore. That's so crazy. It's, I know, it's a little weird. I know. Good afternoon and welcome to your daily game phase for all of you who are following me today on Thursday, the 6th of January. Today's 6th, right? Yep. Yep. Um, 6th of January at 1.47 in the afternoon because I'm running late. <laughs> Shocking. We had to reschedule this week. so We did have to reschedule. All my fault because I'm on vacation because I'm practicing what I preach. But this is this is something I love to do in a different way than I love to do my practice. But this doesn't take the same kind of oomph for me to do this. So this was easier for me to continue on and not miss this week. Yeah, we have fun, don't we? It's we have so much fun, and I love busting your yayas. Yes, you and, do. And and I'm going to bust them heavily today because I think you have COVID. <laughs> it's entirely possible. I, I would not be surprised. <sighs> So we won't obviously disclose where we are and where we've been because I'm still there. But yep. the place that you were on Friday night, Thursday night, right? Thursday. Thursday night, yeah. Thursday night, probably. And I think maybe Friday night too, but I was there and I didn't get what you've got going on. So, but yeah. one of those nights, you have picked up what the rest of the people around me are picking up and I'm staying right the heck away from all of you. Neither did Janet either. So I don't know what the heck's going on. I may have got it before I went up. I don't know. You know why? Because Janet and myself are like strong like Bo. And, you know. Really? <laughs> That's what well, it is. She's listening. Janet, I hope you're listening. I got your back, girlfriend. <laughs> and she's got it. She, she's not even vaccinated. She's got immune immunity suppression. She's got all kinds of issues. Oh, well, that's kind of scary. So she should stay away from you because I didn't realize she's not vaccinated. I was going to say that you're actually doing really well for the fact that because you're vaccinated, because I have had more people in the conversation, even though I'm away on vacation, I've had more conversations about the vaccine's not working. And I can't tell you how many times, as you know, I've had to say, and I will remind people on the show, vaccines are vaccines. They are not cures. They yep. are not cures. Vaccines, all vaccines, no matter which one, no matter what name you give it, all vaccines are to help prevent the spread of the contagion that you've got or whatever it is, and also not let you die or not as get, get as sick as you would if you didn't have it. That doesn't mean it's 100% foolproof. It doesn't mean there won't be breakthrough. And I have had very many... Um, conversations about just the fact that like, you know, there's outbreaks of like smallpox here and there. There's outbreaks of mumps, measles, and rubella. And we've been MMRing for years. Yep. That happens and people don't talk about it because people aren't as up in, you know, arms about that. But it's it's normal. So when people go, oh, why get vaccinated if you're going to get sick? Well, because that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, tests around here are ridiculous to get. So I finally got a home test. It's at home waiting for me. I'll get tested tonight. I'm pretty sure I have it because, I, as I told you, I just had a cold like three weeks ago. This is less severe than the cold. I mean, which is yay. That's the point. Yay. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm almost all the way through it right now. I feel pretty good today, actually. You know, my voice hasn't come quite back, but uh, I feel I didn't really. I, the, again, the cold was more severe than than this was this time. And it's because I was vaccinated. Did you lose your taste and smeller? I did not. Thank God. That's yeah. the thing I feared the most. Well, it's weird because some people are yes and some people are no, or some people lose it for a day or two and then it pops right back. So it's been a little different. So I imagine it's it's varying on the variant. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But you sound way better than you were texting me yesterday and the day before. <laughs> Well, and I had I no concern that you were going to be like, we cannot do a show because I have COVID. 
and I had almost no uh, respiratory at all. It was just basically a cough and a sore throat from the cough. It wasn't even a sore throat. It was a sore throat just from coughing That's and a, a little temperature regulation, just some chills for a couple of nights. But right. even well, that, and, and to the point of how I wrote this yesterday on social media, when people were going on and on about it, I said, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. If you had a vaccine and you got that as your symptoms, that's exactly what you were supposed to get. No, yeah. no, no, really more and no really less like you, you know, and everyone's gonna have a little variation, but thank God you didn't get respiratory and you didn't end up in the hospital, you know, on a vent or, you know, flipped and upside frankly, down. And I'm outside of the six months for the booster too. So I probably well, you know, if you, well, so when we find out if you really have COVID Lou, yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to hold on that booster. Yeah. As we, as we know. So, well, I'm, I am, I am sorry that I'm not home to give you the test that I have at home because I do have testing kits at home that I would have been happy to share with you because I know you've been looking high and low for three days for a test kit. It's not even so bad that the tests are hard to come by. It's the attitude that everybody in every place has. It's just, everyone's done. Everyone is just done with this totally. Why? What's the attitude, Ben? Oh, it's just like I, I went to Convenient MD. Uh, the other day, and there's a sign in the lobby that says no test stuff like that. And I said, okay, do you are you doing any walk-in reservations or anything like that? She goes, no, just show up early. I goes, what's early? I, said, I don't know. The guy who was first in line today was here at six o'clock. They don't open till eight, by the way. Yeah. And it's and it's like you know she wanted nothing to do with it. You know, it's like, and I don't mean well. I'll out convenient MD because we had a couple bad experiences in a row, but. Yeah. Um, it's just like that's the attitude everybody i mean everybody's overwhelmed i understand it to an extent it is it is just it's bizarre situation right now everyone's just right. over overwhelmed by this whole thing well and here's the thing and this is what i told some people at dinner last night that we're talking about it next to me as i said if you've got covid and you've been vaccinated and you're like and you you don't really know you have it let it run it's like just stop running to every convenience store and because there's just i mean up here where we, where we were there's test up here by the way but down where you are and where we live down in massachusetts there are not so um because everyone and their uncle's testing and at this juncture it's like why torture yourself i think i heard from at least 12 people in the past three days that have covid <laughs> That yeah. I know personally, like, and I'm like, well, and they're like, what do I do? I'm like, oh, you sit home, drink water, watch good movies and chill for the next few days and ride it out. And uh, like, okay. the only reason I'm having to tell, well, first of all, she wants me to get the tests because she's got elderly parents and right. want to know the situation. And I understand all that. But the only reason I'm interested in getting the test is I'm kind of rooting for it, you know, because then it's just I've checked it off the list and got away with it, you know, rather mildly i mean i've had this has been a very mild bout with it well i and that's been the general report from most people so other than the fact that yes testing to find out to make sure you're not around other people like elderly people or people yeah. that are you know got those issues so but i'm figures crossing that i'm not going to be in contact with anyone that has it other than the fact that um uh probably have been in contact given that i'm in the same place as you went yep <laughs> But I wasn't there the night you were there. So, you know, and now the past five days since you left, it's been dead where I am. So there's been no oh, one around. Yeah. yeah, it's been. Well, so three of the restaurants, which I won't disclose because I love them all. Three of the restaurants the day on New Year's Eve shut down because their staff had COVID and they've been closed all week because oh, God, yeah. they can't open till tonight and tomorrow. So and since I'm 
not going to be continuing my vacation up here. I'm finishing it out, coming back home. I have had very minor, which is fine because I have, as you know, a big kitchen and whatever, but yeah. place. But I have I have had limited resources of variety of restaurants because staff and all the restaurants, except for my favorite one, the one that you don't go to, the one that I can't get you and Janet to go to, love did to not go. have COVID. What? I'd love to go. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to twist her arm. So anyway, so all of you that want to go to an amazing restaurant, I'm not telling you what it is on this show because I don't want everyone running up here and then having to close down for COVID. So um, so let's shift gears. Okay. I have, well, unless you really want to talk about this more. No, I was just, I just was thinking that the place where I thought I got it and I don't want to name the restaurant too, because by the way, they were pretty good. Yeah. Well, they're very good. And we frequent where you think you got it. So please don't out them because yeah. I've been going there all week and they're fabulous. But, <laughs> so uh, please on that night on, uh, on not New Year's Eve, the night before New Year's Eve, it was a zoo. I mean, it was they were lined out the door and yes. you know, it was a long wait. And by the way, you call up, they they weren't taking reservations. It's like, we're going to put don't. you on a list, come right. in an hour, and then we'll tell you how long the wait is. Right. They don't they don't take reservations at yeah. that particular restaurant. So By the way, can I tell you a story about we're, that? that we're was making great. everyone crazy who's up here in this area going, where are they talking about? Yeah. So I'll give a general. We're in the White Mountain regions, yeah. region, and there's only five restaurants, and three of them have had an issue. Can I tell you how they won me over to? I'm not big on chain restaurants, but in sure. It's a small chain, but it's still a chain. They won me over because I happened, we happened to luck out with the best seat, you know, the seat right in front of the fireplace. That is the best seat there. Right. And it the guy amazing. looked at me, he picked up the slip, my slip with my name on it. He goes, Lou. And I goes, yeah. He goes, you called about the seat in front of the fireplace, right? And I said, yes, I did. And he took me to the seat in front of the fireplace. So he was giving me a little extra, uh, a little extra cheese as he brought me over. And this guy is, they're bombed. They're understaffed. They're absolutely bomb. This guy took took the extra time just to try to make a, me look good in front of Janet. I confessed at the table, but still, it was cool. Well, so it's it's so funny. I mean, because the the amount of people there's a big sign at the restaurant you're talking about right out in front. I was talking to the hostess the other night about this, and this is actually relevant to health and wellness in this show, actually. So I'm keeping it in line, but. There's a big sign about being joyful. How weird is that, that that came up and being kind yeah. and that, and given that the, and it's all about how the pandemic has made them short staffed and short wicked and people are. And so it's a beautiful sign. And of course, one it's 50 sentences, which is 49 more than most people will read and they'll still be rude and disrespectful. And as I was reading the sign, the hostess came by and she said, Oh my gosh, you're reading the sign. And I said, yeah, why? And she's like, no one reads that sign. And she says this last week up here for New Year's has been awful because people have been, she said the day after Christmas, people came up and were so rude and upset oh. and disrespectful and demanding. And why aren't we getting service faster? And she kept saying, we're short staffed. Yep. We're asking you for patience. She said she was at her wits end. And, and to the point of, of my health and wellness show here of living your best life on a daily that like, why, why do that? Why do, why is it necessary? And not to say that we all don't have those moments. Cause certainly I do. And you know, John will attest to that. And so will you. Yep. Um, and I'm sure anybody else that knows me will say, Oh, you know, short wick on occasion, but you know, seriously, it's about like, come on. It's just about being kind, be kind. But they were, they took that situation and they were understaffed that night. And we had a chance to hang around in the restaurant while we were waiting and watching them work. And 
And it's crazy. Course, the guy at our desk, and I told you the story about the guy who seated us, they yes. were all great. It was about the way they approached it. They were swamped. They were absolutely swamped. And they just turned it into a great experience because the woman who was taking the reservations, the guy who seated us, the guy who served us, they were all great. They were just, yeah. you know, they were looking at it in a, a joyous way, in a positive way. They could have just been under the table because I tell you, they were understaffed and they were doing the best they could. And by the way, they did a great job. But just that attitude with which they approached it made such a big difference. Well, and and that's how they that's how that place has been all week. And the, any of the places we've been has been like that the entire time. Because that place you're talking about, one other place um, that you went to, they've been understaffed all week. Yeah, because of bit, that the was, shutdown was, of the other ones. What? That was a different attitude. <laughs> that was that was a, a less joyous attitude, but still. I understand. Yeah. So anyway. So while I have been away, I also wanted to alert, and you'll have to go looking for this, Lou, because you, you are my producer, so therefore you'll have to go, and I should have alerted to you okay. for you to do this. And now you, I see you looking down going, uh-oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, so on Saturday night, the 1st of January, I was, if you download the app called Clubhouse, it's a great, I never used it really before, and now I'm like all into this whole Clubhouse. I don't know if you know what it is. It's, you know, yeah. it's it's an app for people to get on and do, you know, all kinds of different topics, but you get on and you have like a following and you can do like this, but it's not a, it's not broadcast per se to the world It's broadcast to your little set of followers, which now apparently I've got like 500 on this, which oh. is good. But um, all of a sudden, but on the first, I had been invited a couple of weeks ago, as you know, I work for big cat rescue in Tampa, Florida. I provide um, motivational and grief um, work and compassion fatigue support and, um, you know, kind of helping the mental health of all the staff and the volunteers there and so on. So on Saturday night, um, I did on the clubhouse, Carol Baskin had invited me to do a talk on uh, animal caregiver, compassion fatigue and et cetera. And I was on with this other woman, her name was Amber, um, who rescues, uh, she does uh, rescue, uh, neuter and release um, in New Jersey. And she works for a company uh, or one of the, there's Clubhouse. Look at that. If everyone's watching, it's on that. Um, but you can look me up on Clubhouse and you can join Clubhouse, but you can go onto YouTube now and you can listen. It's an, it's an audio podcast, so to speak, but it's, um, you can go onto YouTube now because Carol and her, and her, her social media staff posted it. So if people missed it, I did advertise it on my social media platforms on Saturday, but if you want to hear that and you want to hear Carol and myself and, um, another animal welfare person speak about big cats and little cats, and you didn't get to, you get to see it. So there's the plug for that. Um, thank you, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> saying that. Um, and then, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, and then I'm getting, I was given that, I was going to tell you that I don't have my guest list all in front of me yet, but, and Lou, I haven't made you privy to it yet, but I'm lining up good guests for um, at least, at least one a month for the year mm -hmm. to go along with our micro goaling and your yep. water intake and so on and so forth, because we have to check in on that. And today's topic also is going to be largely on the topic that has come up, even though I was hoping it wouldn't, but it always does, is people are doing their resolutions yeah. and they're talking about eating and working out. But um, it was about more people talking to me from the last two podcasts about like eating disorders and triggers and and what is an eating disorder and how do you know if you have one and, and so on and so forth. So we'll get into that a little bit. But so I'm going to be announcing some of my 
um, guests coming up, but not today, so that you're you're aware, Lou, so that you get ready. Yep. Um, and also that uh, there's going to be a you know micro goal, micro goal check in because I need to know how your water intake is going. I'm going going great, and it led me to. It took me to the next step, which was I re-downloaded. I don't use my fitness app for some reason. I don't okay. know. I like life some a little better for some reason. I don't know why. Just used to it. That's what I first started with. And mm -hmm. so I reloaded that back on the phone. Now I'm tracking meals again and things like that. Obviously, my exercise has been down because I've been sick for the last few days. Right. The holidays and things like that. But I'm back to accountability for food and accountability for water and, you know, taking those first steps because, you know, that leads to some of the bigger gains. And now it's like, I'm doing okay. I got my diet in order and add some exercise and I'll be, I'll be making some progress. That's very good, Lou. I'm so proud of you. Excellent. Well, so I, I know you know this, but so for the listeners, I don't know if they really paid attention or if I've really mentioned it that much. So um, on the 4th of January was my full first year of no red meat, minus, as John pointed out, that I did do a cheat bite of a piece of meatball on Christmas Eve because my nephew had meatballs and they really looked good. And he was like, want one? And I'm like, no, but I'll taste one. So I took a little sliver. And I also was pointed out that I did cheat when I told my lovely colleague who brought me meatball meatballs uh, like three months ago or two months ago, he made homemade meatballs and sauce. So I, I had a little bit of one and then gave the rest to John. So essentially in my mind, I've made the entire year, which yep. I'm still counting, um, that I have been one year free of red meat. And it makes a huge difference. In addition to that goal I set for myself last year that I did inch by inch. Um, so this is like the testament to your moving forward on yours is I also switched over to pretty much, I'd say like 90, I'll give it 96% of most things are in my fridge, pantry, cupboards, everything that I eat is plant-based. Mm -hmm. So switching everything over to have um, everything have at least some module of plant-based in it, if not 100% plant-based. Um, you don't have to do it that way. I just find that my body responds better that way. And in conversations in the past week with people on vacation, people are talking about like, why is gluten so bad for you? Why does it make you feel bad? And so on and so forth. Um, and how does it contribute to eating disorders? So hence the theme of the show today. Um, and it's it's so many things about that. So the plant-based piece is if you really truly can keep to the ground and find things that are fully made with plant-based items and not have added sugars, and you have to be careful of having added sugars yeah. because they disguise them now on the labels. So if you're if you're taking your label of your your water mm -hmm. and you're looking at it, it will often say something that doesn't look like sugar, but in fact it is. Um, they're getting very good at disguising that. But but gluten itself, um, you know, great conversation about, you know, go look up stuff on gluten if you have no idea really about gluten, because just take this thought of wheat in general. And, and this is going to link to eating disordered behaviors. When you, when you think of wheat back in the early 1900s, 1910, 1920, there was no chemical processing that was happening the same way. You can look at the history of, of how plant-based items like that corn and wheat and so on and so forth were made and, and your, your vegetables and your nuts and your legumes and everything. Over the years, what's happened is 
and I won't go into all the details because it's a longer show than I've got, but all the chemical processing and how it's refined, refined. Well, what that means is it doesn't mean it's refined to being like a better product. It means it's refined by being, I call it mutated, mutilated <laughs> with, a, with a variety of different ways of chemically changing it to produce it harder, faster, stronger, so to speak, and then get it moving more. But what it does to your body is it doesn't like that. And the real thing is that your body's made to break down plant-based items, not meat like red meat. So when you're, when you're eating things that have gluten in them, or you're having things that are having white wheat, which is basically all pasta, all bread items, unless you're getting things made out of a plant-based wheat, which would be, that's not refined and added sugars and added chemicals. So that's, if you're eating like Jerusalem artichoke pasta, that's made with Jerusalem artichoke flour. So they crush it down and make it into that. And people will say, well, don't they do the same chemical process? No, they don't, because that's the whole point of cauliflower pasta and bonza pasta and organic. All those things are made in a different way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Keeping in mind not to have the allergy you know, like celiacs come up because people get very allergic. So as you know, and I made a mistake because I stayed away from my bagel this year. <clears throat> but I had, I had a piece of white bread yesterday, but not as a piece of white bread. It was, there's a new place. I'll advertise it because really good. It's called Cheese Louise in North Conway. Mm -hmm. It's an all grilled cheese store and they make homemade grilled cheese sandwiches. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Yeah. And it was the most amazing tasting thing but I suffered and I only had half because I knew I was going to suffer. And about 20 minutes later, I suffered. So yep. thank you very much. Cause I knew, but it's cause it was made on white bread. Yeah. And, and then it takes me three hours to get past it because it sits. And so, you know, people say, well, what does that feel like? If, you know, a lot of people don't understand that they may in fact have an allergy to gluten, but in fact, it's not necessarily they have an allergy to it, and not saying that some people don't, because clearly some people do, but it's the fact that you don't pay attention to what your body really does with it because you're so used to eating it. That if you're not tracking that, you essentially, when you eat wheat, white wheat, and, and people say, well, I'll eat you know, um, whole wheat. Whole wheat is still wheat and it's still the same process. It still has the same thing. It just add, they add sugar and molasses and make it a change color. But when you're eating that, what it does is it inflames your organs and it inflames the process to be able to break it down. And it pushes the sugars. It makes your body and your dopamine in your head want more. I mean, it's speaking to your body to crave more, which leads me into talking about eating disorders, but I won't do that yet because I can see the questions in your face. Yeah. Okay, go. Well, see, this is a situation I'm running into a lot because Janet and I are opposite people in terms of I have no problems with just about anything. I don't have allergies. I don't get sick <clears throat> that often. I don't think I have a problem with gluten you know, dust, animal, dander, anything like that. It's like, I don't even know this stuff's going on. And she's hyper, uh, you know, she's hyper affected by this type of thing. So when you talk to me about a gluten allergy and the effects of gluten, I'm thinking, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever had it. What are some of the things that tip you off that you have a problem with something like gluten or red meat or cheese or whatever? Great. So great question. So, so, well, cause you just said a different, a lot of different products there. So yeah. I'll just stick to gluten for a second. <clears throat> One of the ways that you can know is really paying attention by taking out the items for a week or two. So start with something like taking out cheese. Yeah. If you're, if you're a cheese eater uh, several times a week or every day, like I have some clients, we do the experiment of we take one thing away a week and then we see, and we track how much different they feel. Where do they feel different? 
and I tell them specifically to pay attention to their bloating factor, how they feel like in terms of their skin movement, do they feel like they're retaining or holding or, or letting go of water? And then a lot of times people who are not super self-aware, which there's many people that don't have that, is watching for, do you get gas? Do you have, unfortunately saying this, diarrhea or constipation? Are you having those struggles? Because cheese and wheat products and high fat butter products with the mixture of those will likely give you those things. And that actually is the allergy, which that is really not the word to use for it. And so don't anyone yell at me because I'm using that. I'm air quoting it. <laughs> but that's really what happens to your body. So by and large, if you're super self-aware, you'll be able to know that there's um, the inflammation of the body. The inflammation will feel bloaty. It will feel like uncomfortable. You know, water will certainly help that. But how do you get rid of it? Take one product away. So if we're if we're talking like meat, like say red meat, cheese and 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 wheat. So let's take out all red meat for a week. Let's, and if you're, if you're a meat eater twice or three times a week, take it all out and see how it feels some Sunday, yeah. Sunday. Um, I think that you'll feel on when you're doing meat products like red, red meat, excuse me, you'll, you'll have to take probably two weeks for that just because you really, most people don't eat it every day. So it takes two weeks to really catch that up. Whereas when you're eating cheese, most people have a cheese product most days somehow somewhere so i would say take out all cheese because cheese is a um it, it retains a lot of weight for you it makes you more uh tired it can make you thirsty it can make you all kinds of different things it can also add to adhd it can add to anxiety it can add to all different hmm. disorders um and so that's that was one thing and you'll find a difference in a week off of no cheese no cheese products and cheese products meaning milk ice cream, yogurt that's milk fed, right? So if you're going to do it, you know, go to Greek yogurt that's done with coconut milk or almond milk, not made with actual dairy milk. Mm -hmm. The reason why is not because it's the milk. It's the, again, it's the process. So it, there's a very different process. If you've ever had milk from a cow directly, it tastes very different than when you have milk that comes in the store that's now gone through all the chemical pasteurizing process. So that makes a difference in how your body processes it. So, so taking one of those products out a week. Now, if you're going to take out wheat, wheat is a little different because so many products have wheat. So you're going to come down, if you decide, I'm going to take two weeks, which I say to people, take two weeks. Hi, Amy. Amy, Amy's joining us. She knows what I'm talking about. So Amy's a personal trainer and she knows all about this stuff. When you're taking out um, wheat, it's going to take you roughly two weeks to really feel the full effects because you have to take out so much because it's in so much of what you eat. Mm -hmm. So if you're not a, a plant-based eater in general and you're out of the box and you're out of the, out of the gate kind of thing, and you're a quick fix, you know, dinner, lunch, blah, blah, blah. You're going to find that it's in your it's in your nacho chips, it's in your cereal, it's in your rice, it's in your potatoes, It's especially if they come from a box. It's in your, um, you know, if you're eating processed yeah. lean cuisines, if you're eating pasta in general, if you're eating bread of any kind, unless it's plant-based. So you have to really be committed to that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to cold turkey everything, but if you're going to really try to figure out how gluten is affecting you and how um, wheat and, and carbs of that nature are affecting you, which are your sugared carbs, your higher sugared carbs, you should 
instead of getting overwhelmed by doing all of them at once, take out the one you eat most frequent for the first two weeks. So if you're a pasta eater, like I know many pasta eaters, take out all your pasta and don't eat pasta for two weeks. Switch it out with, uh, and don't switch to a plant-based pasta because we're trying to get rid of that that sugar source. So right. stick to your rice, stick to your, um, your sweet potatoes, stick to um, other root vegetables that will give you the sense of that carb. So, you know, squish up some cauliflower, do something else, stay away from anything boxed. Um, and then if you want to go full on and you want to take it out, well, then you go, if you're a box eater, anything processed, no eating that for two weeks. It's very, these are very simple, yeah. easy fixes to take out right away to take a trial air, you know, trial run on this. Um, so it's not all or nothing. And even if you just do it for a week, but pick a product a week to, to do it, to see if you can stick with it, what you're going to find. And this is okay. This is why people do sober January. Sober. I have multiple people in my life right now and friends and colleagues and other people do it, which clearly we're not because we had a lovely time this week. Yeah. Um, but sober January, the whole premise behind that is obviously the same kind of thing I'm talking about, but also, you know, because alcohol does these things, but alcohol has a high amount of sugar in it. And depending, you know, people will pick their ones that do not have as much like vodka, which by the way, is potatoes. So you still have sugar. Um, which by the way, up there is impossible to avoid because every drink is made with maple syrup. So <laughs> this is true you or, or, or something espressoway, right yeah in cream yeah. so so right so sober january for me doesn't start till the eighth yeah. <laughs> um but so the the whole premise around sober january this could be sober january for food too you have to pick your pick your poison kind of thing but when you when you go away from drinking for the month or you go away from the food product you choose for the month or whatever your body often, if you're not a true addict, right, your body will become used, habitually used to not having it and will not want it. You'll have to reintroduce it purposefully to get yourself back on the track of wanting it again. Same goes for pasta, rice, potato, cheese, bread, all those things. So that's one of the best premises around the alcohol consumption and eating disordered behavior around disorders of addiction is when you're drinking alcohol and you take a break from it for a month or, or two or three weeks, people often say, oh my God, I, I had two drinks after three weeks off and I feel like either buzzed or dry, right? Because your body has rewired itself to not want it and not crave it. A little different with people with addiction right? Because yep. the brain plays a game. But in general population, if you stay away from things for about a month, your body just doesn't want anymore. And you have to forcefully bring it back into the body. Yeah. Red meat and sugar are very much like that. That's how I got to my current relationship with red meat. And hey, I'm an American guy. I like red meat. But if I eat 12 times a year red meat, that's a lot. And it's just because I still love it, but I feel it when I eat it. It's like right. it puts me down a little bit and it sits and I'm not craving it. I'm just, you know, someone sending me some steaks. I have some steaks. That's, you know, right. And, 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 and that makes and that's hard because then you're like, oh, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. But it's like I just accept it that way now. I'm not looking for it. But, if, you know, a steak, I'll have a steak. I'll live with being down a little bit for a night and, you know, we'll go on with the rest of our lives. The other night I bought a you know, I had a cake in the refrigerator and I took a slice of cake and I said right after I ate it, I go, boy, I regretted that yep. because you, you cut, you've cut the sugar and it's, it wasn't so much. It made me feel bad, but like the taste was in my mouth and the, the sugar didn't, you know, you know, it you think you right. want something sweet, but it didn't sit right. Right. Yeah. Right. 
So you, so you become very used to it very quickly. Well, and so that's the point of sugar and people realizing the, so we're talking about the different foods, but what it does is it impacts your brain and how you feel about your physical and mental well-being and they work together. And why am I talking about the front loading of the food and all that? And I always talk about this with people is because when you're eating those things, it makes you reinforce for happiness or sadness, or you're using it for all kinds of different reasons that you don't realize you're doing because you're just so, you just said so used to it. It's a habit. And so as anyone knows with like an eating disorder, right? Sometimes a trigger We'll use the word trigger because people know it so well. Sometimes the trigger can rear rear its ugly head when you least expect it because it means many different things for people. You know, sometimes um, it can mean, you know, something that urges you to uh, back up your old patterns because it feels good because you're in a sad mood or it make it comes because you have a strong emotional response and you don't realize you're having it. It's just or you're just in the bad habit bad habit of, hey, it's 10 o'clock at night and the trigger is it's 10 o'clock at night and now I'm supposed to eat my popcorn, my ice cream, my whatever. So there's all these um, ways of looking at how food impacts your mental health because your mental health draws you into your trigger items and, um, you know, and, and, and people try to combat that in the patterns of this with you know, well, I'll eat sugar-free, fat-free, dairy-free, and those are all good. I mean, certainly I drink my Diet Coke here and there. And I drink my iced teas that are whatever, <clears throat> actively knowing that I probably should have like added, if I'm going to add sugar, I should do it myself kind of thing. Or if I don't drink Coke, but I'm clearly drinking aspartame and saccharin and things that cause cancer. But I know that, you know, not that that's a good thing. But when people are trying to get their thing in control and they say, but it's sugar free, but it's fat free, but it's dairy free. I always say, but it's not calorie free. Just because of that doesn't mean that it's calorie free. And because of that, what it's doing is it's pushing those structures in your emotional brain stem that I've talked about many times before to want you to walk that line of being um, tempted, tortured, brought into it without even realizing that you're um, walking into wanting more sugar or trying really hard to avoid, but then coming down, you know, well, I didn't have a, an actual piece of cake. I had the sugar-free lean cuisine, yeah. blah, 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 but it's loaded with stuff. And so you still had it. So you're still triggering the brain right. yep. to go into the space of feeling crappy. And therefore you're still eating disordered in a lot of ways, because you're still having a poor relationship with food. You're just substituting it with something that basically is telling you it's better for you, but it's really not. Right. Yeah. You're rationalizing it basically. Right. Yeah. Um, so when, so when people have familiarity and they have the familiarity with their patterns and then the sensory emotional experience of like the sight, the smell, the feel, the memory of how it makes you feel like, you know, mom's apple pie or, or cinnamon and nutmeg in, in, you know, a wonderful drink or, you know, eating sweet potato souffle, blech, you know, whatever it is, there's all the sensory pieces of information that go to the emotional centers that are really at the, the underbelly of the eating disordered behavior that makes a person feel bad. So we know that food products can make us feel bad physically and emotionally. 
because they make us want more sugar. The more sugar we eat, the more anxious we can become, the more depressed we can become. It pushes people with schizophrenia. It pushes people with bipolar. It pushes people with eating disordered obesity issues and people who have um, anorexia and bulimia because that's a whole nother piece of it, right? Because eating disorder behavior is often considered just, well, if you're fat, that's yep. eating disordered. Right. Or if you're skinny, that's eating disordered. No, there's this whole mental health range of eating disorder behavior because most people I know have a really poor relationship with food because they don't know they don't know what they're doing and they're not actively identifying the emotions in their body, which is really the underbelly of how to um and they're much more affected by their intake than they believe they are. Right. Their because people aren't paying attention to that. Yeah, you are what you really are, what you eat in a large in a, to a lot to a larger extent than most of us believe we are. Right. So eating, so eating in general is usually connected to some kind of emotional experience. When we have disordered eating, I consider it more connected to the emotional experiences that are negative for us. So deaths in families, um, tragedy, you know, tragedies, people having abuse, people feeling lonely, people um, having low self-esteem. Uh, I mean, you name it, there's, there's all kinds of reasons, but we, we're eating usually, it, well, usually we are connected to food because we're supposed to um, eat to live, not live to eat. And when we eat to, you know, when we are, when we're eating to live, we're not eating out of emotion. We're eating because it just is, oh, we're supposed to fuel our body in the morning, afternoon and evening and be done with it. But that's not how most culture is. We, we just, we live to eat, right? Yep. So the live to eat attitude leads to that disordered eating because the emotional experience at the underside of all of it is really driving us in terms of managing our triggers, managing our ability to say no or stop, or even bothering to look um, at a label or making the conscientious choice of what you and I just talked about is how is this going to make me feel if I eat this? Like I went into eating my half a sandwich yesterday knowing I was going to pay for it, but I made the, I knew, and I was like, well, it was good. I just really wanted to taste it. And then at the end of the, t at the end of it, I said, oh, I should have just had a bite because the, you know what I mean? So, but I was knowing that, but what I'm asking people to do when they're listening is if you don't want to feel emotionally down because you made the choice to eat something and then afterwards you feel physically down, you have to really be conscientious right out of the gate to identify your emotion. Like I didn't have any emotion going into it yesterday. I was like, oh, I really want to try this because I grew up and I love, I grew up, there's the, I grew up with some yeah. kind of, I love tomato soup with rice with my grilled cheese sandwiches and they smelled like comb. They smelled like that thing. And I was like, Oh, this is funny. Cause I'm being drawn to it specifically for that emotion. So then I had it. And then afterwards like, Oh man, I knew, I knew, I knew. And then afterwards I was like, Oh, I'm done with that. And then I went for a five mile jaunt to get rid of it in my body just to get it not inflamed. But well, that's the origin of the term comfort food, isn't it? Right. I mean, comfort yes. food makes you feel nostalgic. It makes you feel comfortable. That's a real thing. It's not just a term. It, it, right. it brings you back to the types of things you have fed as a kid, especially, you know, my generation and to an extent your generation. Yes. Like those are the foods we were fed as kids and it meant home and it meant, you know, it meant feeling good. It's, there's some nostalgia to it. Well, so it, so it means feeling good, like in the case I just talked about and you talked about, but also for a lot of people that I work with, it doesn't necessarily mean feeling good 
it's not coming from a place of feeling good. It's coming from a place of stuffing down feelings to keep them away. Yeah. So many people will eat more people than what we're talking about in our experience. More people eat out of emotion to comfort themselves because they've been modeled it from their other family members. Usually kids who are, who become heavy or obese become adults who are heavy or obese because they've been modeled that because they've been taught that how you manage your life is through eating. And so it's without conscientious eating, which means without conscientious eating means you're not really aware of your emotions. You're not really eating out of hunger. Right. You're eating out of the ALT part of what I've talked about before, angry, lonely, tired on any of the continuum. So, and that's, and that's such a um, disservice to do to children to not give them, because that's really, you know, a basic fundamental building block right out of the gate when a child's born. The first, the first thing is to, is to give them nurturing around getting fed. And right. so what I, and I teach this in my psych class is that from zero to one years old, or, or, or you see zero to three and four sometimes, which makes me crazy because I can already predict out how it's going to be for this kid in their 15, 20 year old, you know, addiction head is when people are constantly sticking pacifiers in a kid's mouth to shut them up or to soothe them because they don't know how else to soothe them. And they haven't, they're not teaching the child how to self-soothe. They're putting a pacifier in too long past the year, uh, the year of time. And now you've got three and four year olds walking around with passies in their mouth. Yeah. That's, that's actually a lead up to addiction. Cause what it's doing is it's sending a signal to the brain that the child's always having to have something in its mouth. So that leads to usually um, vaping, uh, cigarette smoking, um, lots of alcohol consumption, early use in teenagers, you know, 12, 13, 14, more likely have a history of having that, that intervention of, oh, the child's crying. We don't know what to do. They don't want food. So we stick a passy in. So they become orally fixated, so to speak, in Freud's terms, on having to self-soothe the brain from being unhappy in their emotional state. So if they're not giving food, they're still sucking on something. So there's something, so it's hand to mouth, hand to mouth. And if you don't have awareness you're going to struggle. You So the very first thing you have to do with this kind of thing is you have to know what emotion you're having right now and what else is going on in you before you pick up the thing you're about to eat. And it's teaching them to externalize pacification. Right. It, it, it's saying you don't, you don't have to self-soothe you you here, this, this soothes you and it's something external. So they'll continually look for something external. Right. And so, and I asked my clients in this way is what, instead of looking for the external food, that's the quick fix, you have to ask yourself before you, you know, eat the whole bag of chips or the crackers or the whatever you say, what do I need right now? What I want is I want the chocolate cake, but what do I need right now? Well, I need, I need someone to give me a hug. I need someone to talk to. I feel you, you, so you have to ask yourself introspectively, what do I need right now? How can I best take care of myself right now? Maybe I need to go for a walk instead. Maybe I need to go take a bath. Maybe I need to go watch a show. Maybe I need to do something else. Yeah. Maybe I need to call someone, write something. You know, how do I address it? So it's really about what do I need right now? How can I best take care of myself right now? And and then how do I address it? And there's a million different ways to address it, but people go to the quick fix. I'm just going to the refrigerator. Yeah. So that, you know, so that is that is the 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 basis of you know, people who've made that New Year's resolution for I want to lose weight. Well, you got to know your emotions so that you're not constantly going to the refrigerator or every time you have a feeling you're stuffing it. 
literally and figuratively. Um, you know, if you've had a massive, you know, you know that I've had people in my life this year that, and including myself, that had a massive loss this year. You know, people who have grief often will stuff grief with food and alcohol, and they mindlessly eat. All that does is perpetuate the problem of of obviously getting heavier, but also the brain is getting sadder and sadder. So it's the it's the opposite direction of the of the health and wellness of the person trying to get over something of a loss. Even in something that, you know, when people have had, you know, sexual abuse traumas and people go to alcohol and, and food, the same thing. Or someone, you know, you see this with a, abandoned kids a lot where a parent walks out or it's a single family home and somehow one parent's left it's, there's a loss there. So in loss, people will self-soothe by stuffing and feeling so untaken care of that the only way they know how to take care of themselves is through food. And what that does is when you come up to the first of the year and you say, I'm going to lose 50 pounds, you haven't changed any of this pattern. And what you've done is you say you want to do it. You set yourself up to fail and you avoid, you don't avoid going back to your old pattern because you're not changing your old pattern because you know, it's harder not, it's harder not to go back to your old pattern. It's, it, I mean, you just have to, you just go there. It's, it's what you, you know, it's what your brain knows is your stress moment. Sometimes um, it, this, the emotion is so deep that you're not even aware of it, that it's just like you're eating and you and you don't even remember eating. It's like people that say they get up in the middle of the night, eat a full thing and go back to, di- um, to bed. And then in the morning they're like, what did I eat? <laughs> Yeah, this is so similar to addiction, isn't it? Because it's yes. almost always a dual diagnosis. <laughs> yes. You go through rehab, which in in weight circumstances is a diet. You, you know, you purge and you lose a few pounds and you go right back to it because you haven't addressed the underlying problems. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And people and and people don't like to um, to have to do with that because many people two things. One is painful. Yeah. But also they don't want to unearth a lot of it because they feel that that really isn't going to help, which isn't true. Because That's they've been I, suppressing it for so long, mostly with food. So they don't, they don't want to dig it up again because it's right. too painful to deal with in the first place. Right. And if, and if they just saw how much easier it would be to get to the goal that they have by micro goaling themselves and really looking at some of those underlying things it's not as bad as you might think it's going to be emotionally. Um, what they're doing is way worse than what they could be doing to fix it, you know? And, and so to that point, my third point in this is, you know, um, the culture, the social media culture, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, all the diet culture, um, you know, how they post, you know, low-cal meals. I don't know if you've been watching TV this last week because I've been on vacation, so I've been watching. I can't believe how many ship-at-home, box-weekly, blah, 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 you know, you know, diet, this will get you on track. I mean, I've, I've never seen so many that I have this past week on TV. And it's practically, I mean, it's like impossible to escape like this right. constant weight loss marketing giant coming at you. So if you're already vulnerable to this issue, which so many people are, that you're kind of in the toxic diet culture vortex and, you know, you really have to be careful of it because you see either you see these amazing skinny 
women who've been all photoshopped in and you know it's just like when you see oil of olay commercials and everyone's like oh her skin's so beautiful i'm like well she's 12 yeah. she may look like she's 30 yeah. but she's 12 and you've bought into like her skin of course her skin looks like that because she's 12 but it's the same thing is you're getting marketed to this this diet culture that is really not about just cognitive think think before you eat, yeah. think of how you feel before you eat, you know, um, and also diet foods are not good for you. They're good in a quick fix if you want them, but that can't be your mainstay. No. You have to have, you have to have knowledge. You have to have no, you have to have knowledge of unhealthy foods and how they impact your mental health. Because if you don't understand that, they're just, it's just not going to work. Well, you're sold that it's a willpower and abstinence problem. And it's right. not a willpower and abstinence problem. That is the wrong way to go about it. It's not mm -hmm. sustainable. Doing right. it on a willpower basis, just eating less or not, I'm not going to eat this, I'm not going to eat that, doesn't work. It's got to it's gotta come from a different equation. It's got to come from a deeper equation. Well, and the deeper equation, as and, you know, and people love quick fix. And here's your quick okay. fix mindfulness. I know I hate people are like, it's so stupid. It's like meditation. No, mindfulness no, is being aware. If you can be mindful, if you can just be aware in the moments where you're about to eat something, it can stop any negative behavior in its tracks like that, because you're, you're, you're actively engaging your brain from preventing you from acting on a trigger. You can say, am I eating because I want to, or because I need to, or because I'm feeling something. And being able to increase your level of awareness and focus on right now, what's going on, not what you did 20 years ago, not what happened to you yesterday, not what somebody did to you, not what, not because someone passed away, not because someone abused you, not because, because I mean, I have plenty of those things in my history of like growing. I was a gymnast. My culture was cuckoo. Yep. It was you're if you walk into the gym and you're over hundred pounds, you're done right? Crazy, crazy, very bad relationship with food issues. Right. Totally bad. Um, you know, so that was like, I, that was my culture. I was very toxically surrounded when I was growing up by all kinds of really bad messages, which is why I have a really, well, I don't now, but I had a very poor relationship with food because I had to really become actively mindful how to handle triggers because, you know, when you're in that environment, it's all restrict, 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 restrict. When you get to not have to restrict. It's like, we free for all. Yeah. And it's, and that's what happens to people. And it's about, Oh my God. And when you hit, you know, 20 pounds heavier than you ever were in your life, you go, wait a second, this is a problem. Um, and you're working all the time and you're sitting like I do in my job. I mean, I get it. It's not like I, I'm not going to preach to you and not practice what I'm preaching kind of thing. So it's like, you have to increase your level of awareness about all these pieces. And it does sound like a lot of work, but it really isn't. If you just start out with, how do I feel right now? And am I eating because I feel like crap? Because <laughs> if I feel like crap right now and I'm going to eat and I still do it, at least I know I'm doing it for that reason. Now, that is not your, your goal to do that. It's just how do you manage your trigger? And so it's about, okay, paying attention, pay attention, pay attention to your senses, right? Be in your moment. What are you thinking, feeling, seeing, tasting, touching, smelling? It's like pay attention, did you just walk by like a coffee shop and be like, oh, I really want an apple fritter? You know, there's a reason why grocery stores, I know you know this, Lou, they set up all the high sugared crappy items right at the front of the store. Because as you went around all the outside of the store and you avoided everything in center, they hit you right in the last little shoot, yep. you know? Yep. 
And it's hard because if you're not good at paying attention to your senses and really what you're feeling and smelling and, and tasting and hearing and seeing and bright colors, then you're going to get pulled right into the, into that toxic culture. Um, then sometimes I tell people just, you know, for being aware, like really be centered for a second and like close your eyes and take like a 10 second, like, okay, before I like jump into the pasta or the potatoes or whatever, take a couple of seconds to really just breathe and be like, okay, settle down. Um, accept, accept that you want those things, but that you don't need those things no. because at the end of it, it's just like eating the bread and you yesterday, like at the end of it, you're going to feel bad. Yep. You're going to feel shame. You're going to feel guilt. And then what does that do? If you don't stay mindful and you don't stay aware and you keep perpetuating the, I'm going to feel guilty afterwards, you're going to just mindful, mindlessly go and eat it anyway, or drink it anyway, or smoke it anyway, because your mind's going to be like, well, I can't, I can't do it. So forget it. I, I think I told you the story in my, a few years ago when my daughter was waitressing at the nines and all of a sudden they came out with the menu with the calories on the menu. Yes. And I'm going through the menu and I'm going, I can't eat here. There's nothing here that's worth the calories that I got to pay for it. Right. You know, and it's just, that's just becoming aware of it. You would eat that food and you would just say, oh, it's one night. I'm just going to eat this food and things like that. Right. But, or that apple fritter in the coffee shop, if you know it's 650 calories, you might approach it a little bit differently. Again, it's a deeper equation. There's a little more involved here than just a moment's pleasure. And it's like, I'm going to eat that apple fritter and I'm not going to feel good about it a half an hour after I do it. And I just spent 650 calories on something that I really didn't want. Well, and, okay. So two things about that. So one awareness about how many calories you're really, really supposed to have, you know, I don't, I'm not a big calorie counter in terms yep. of like overall, but I think people should know for their knowledge base is you to maintain your normal weight for, we're just talking generally, you really shouldn't be going over for a female 1500 calories a day should be your allotment roughly. If you're trying to lose weight, it's got to be less than that. So if you're eating an apple fritter that has 600 calories in it, which they do, or if you eat a Dunkin' Donuts muffin, which used to have 200 calories, now it has 650 in a blueberry muffin, yeah. that's half your calories at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning, and you've got to make it till 10 o'clock at night. And you just right. started off your day with a high-carb, high-sugar item that's going to burn like that, and in two hours or less, you're going to be hungry. And the first thing you're going to want to pull for is that you feel emotional to pull for something sweet or something that right. has carb in it. So you're going to go to lunch and have pasta, pizza, potato, McDonald's. Like, so you have to be mindful that you're already at your halfway point before the day's even a quarter over of how many calories. Now, if you're a guy, roughly 2000 to maintain the weight you're at less, if you want to lose, depending if you're not exercising. I mean, these are all different formulas for different people. I'm just giving sure. general. So yep. these people say, Oh my God, that's not how many I get it. This is just general, but so be mindful of there's a, there's a big difference between eating an apple fritter and a salad and a salad shouldn't be like, Oh, well, it's no fun. Well, you can have a salad and have a piece of grilled chicken on it and it's going to burn and you're not going to be hungry four hours later. And you're going to have 500 calories in that, which is totally reasonable versus 600 calories is going to make you two hours later, want another 600 calories. And now you're at two o'clock in the afternoon, going through the afternoon slump and you haven't even hit dinner yet, which more often than not, people have an extra six, seven, 800, 900 calories at dinner. And that's before they've had dessert. So now you're looking at, you know, when people have gained weight, they're looking at three, 4,000 calories a day or more which we can break down another time. But it, so to that point, 
and know your calories. But what I would say is keep it, you know, people always say, I'm going to keep a journal of my calories, which is a really big thing that, you know, a lot of the weight loss things, yeah. points, calories. It, you know, I would like people to really keep a journal of your emotions instead. Emotionally track, um, you know, when you, cause when you journal your emotions, when you, when you talk, when you write down, like, I, I feel, um, sad. I feel lonely. I feel angry. You're not just doing that just to see like how sad, angry, lonely, frustrated, whatever it is, or whatever it is, you're, you're doing it so that you're lessening your mental distress by thought dumping. I call it thought dumping. You're letting go of thinking all these negative emotions that you're not putting out in the world instead of when you journal it out, you're less likely to pick up something to eat and stuff it. You're journaling it out and you can look at it and you're like, oh, I'm angry. I shouldn't eat right now. Oh, we were just talking about calorie accountability. That's emotional accountability, isn't it? Just Mm -hmm. the fact that you recognize that you're feeling stressed or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling sad. Right. Because a lot of times you go through and you react to it without actually acknowledging that that's what it is. So you never tie it together. So it's kind of like, you know, that, that letter writing thing, that exercise that most of us docs do, we, we have our clients like write the letter to the person that we are angry at or sad or whatever. And then we don't have them send it. The reason why is exactly the same reason why I'm saying like do an emotional journal, not a calorie journal. It's emotional accountability. Cause what you're doing is you're writing a response. You're writing a response to the situation in your head without even realizing it by journaling it down. And then you're like, Oh, why would I eat? on that that's ridiculous right now like, well, I, oh, I, I said all these things to my mother and i don't need to send that because now i feel emotionally cathartic i vented it out and now i don't need to do it so it's the same thing you're not going to act on it to go stuff the bag of pretzels in your mouth you'll deal with the unexpressed emotion differently than you will with the expressed emotion that's processing that's the whole right thing, right exactly reducing exactly your, reducing your emotions to thoughts and words you know journaling putting it into words is is processing it Absolutely. So what it does is it shifts the whole, in a very easy, simple way, it just shifts the whole way of emotionally handling your environment for all the emotional things that are going in your internal environment. And how many times in the course of a session do you hear, because when I've been in in therapy, when I've talked in therapy, I do this all the time. And, you know, as I'm trying to answer a question, you know what I'm just thinking? Because in that process of answering the question and putting your emotions into words, you start to become aware of things, you know? Yes. All of a sudden you go, aha, you have those aha moments for yourself. Like, oh my God. And I have clients that say that patients will say to me all the time, all the time, truly say, oh my God, now that I'm saying it out loud. Yep. Right. Because you haven't formally processed it because you've been mindlessly just doing out of emotion that you haven't recognized. So it's a big shift. That's super easy, super easy. Yeah. And it's a, it's a 30 second self conversation. It's like, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Where's that coming from? Right. And then you start to identify what's going on and then you deal with it. It's more, it's easier to deal or it's easy to deal more productively when the specific thought and words than it is with the vague emotion that you're just carrying around. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And now, so as, as I get ready to wrap up the show here shortly, but I got to hit you with a question before you do. So oh, I, yeah, I'm not wrapping up yet, but I just want to make sure that people no. don't leave yet. But, um, uh, one of the, um, I think one of the, the best things to think about of knowing this is, is that it's just like I said at the beginning of the show, it just takes one, one little micro step at a time. All you have to do is today spend your whole day, every time you go to eat, 
checking in with yourself. Do I need to eat right now or do I want to eat right now? Why? Because am I really hungry or is it because I'm bored? Yeah. Was it because I'm lonely or is it because I have no one to talk to or is it because I'm stressed? Or am I escaping or yeah. Right. What am I running from? What am I not wanting to deal with? And 99% of the time you're not going to pick up the food out of that simple strategy because all of a sudden it's going to register with you like, ugh. And if you do eat, you know why you're eating. Yep. So at least you have accountability to yourself to know that if you gain 50 pounds over the past year, you'll know why, because you've been actively aware of it and haven't done anything different, but you know, instead of mindlessly doing it. Okay. So give me your question. All right. I want to use the show for my own purposes right now, because that's, that's the best thing about doing radio and stuff. I like know that. you get free therapy from me. Yeah, I want to go back therapy. I want to go back to uh, reactions to food and how, what it, what it means. And the one thing that I do have a reaction to, because again, I'm the person who doesn't have allergies, doesn't have any of this stuff. Um, don't get sick all that often. I just don't react to things. But the one thing I do have a lot is my stomach gurgles a lot and it gurgles more than most people. And I, I've, I've been trying to track it down to specific foods and things like that. And I don't think that that's it. Uh, does that indicate to anything in, t- in terms of problems with food? Well, so it could be a couple of things, obviously. So I, I'd have to ask you a whole bunch of different questions, which we can yeah. do off air. But yeah. just a quick thing, because I think that that's a good question for a lot of people. So that would imply to me that we, we should do a checklist of like, let's go down through of do you really not have allergies to certain foods? And we would do, we'll do an elimination, right? Kind of thing. And also something that you're eating may have a high level of acidity that doesn't sit well with you. Also, since you're asking it, sometimes Lou, you tend to be more of an anxious person than another person. I have some stresses. Yes. Yes. And therefore when people have anxiety, there's the emotional piece and they eat, it actually, disrupts the esophageal gastrointestinal back and forth for lack of a better way of explaining it. Mm -hmm. And so it revs it up and it will gurgle more because your anxiety is now sort of being touched by the food. That's my easiest answer to put it in. Right. Um, And it also could be an allergy, not allergy true, but it could just be that something that you're eating is irritating or some combination of what you're eating irritates. My guess knowing you and knowing what you just asked is it's probably the piece with the mixture. Yeah. Just adding adding food to stress. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and so that you taking a step further, I know, I know multiple people that have the same thing and they think that that's a sign of hunger that when their stomach gurgles, it's hunger. It is not. Do not overfeed that because then that's where you're training the brain to eat out of the wrong reason. So many people are like, oh, my stomach hurts. Well, your stomach hurts because you're not supposed to keep eating. No, there's no pain. It's just noise. <laughs> yes, right. But some people, it will lead, their gurgle and noise will lead to pain. And But it's not really pain. They just think it's gurgling and it's painful and it's not. Yeah. Because it's, it's psychosomatic. Psychosomatic is psychologically, um, medically coming up with a reason in your head that something's going wrong when it's really not. Yep. Catastrophizing. Yes. Threat exactly. generating. Like it must be my stomach's rumbling because it's a it's no wives' tale, so to speak. You know, my stomach's rumbling because I'm hungry. Well, no, it's probably because you, you know, ate spicy food last night, or because, you know, you are not you, but you're hungover, or because you just had a whole bunch of gluten, or because you, you know, ate something that didn't sit well right now because it was bad or whatever. But people don't, this is the mindfulness is 
why is it not, you know, not, oh, it's rumbling. So I should eat something. Mm, not necessarily. Cause that usually makes it worse, but, but yeah, good question, Lou. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, so we get, you got to put out information um, in your newsletter or something about how, how to get involved in that clubhouse situation. I, I will do that. Grounding back to the clubhouse situation. I will make sure that I, um, I have you obviously set up the link to the YouTube um, site from mm -hmm. it, if you can find it. Yeah. Um, and if you can't, I will find it. And then I will let people know in my newsletter this month about how to join me on Clubhouse, et cetera, when I do those things, if I do them again. But they should go over for, for sure and listen to Big Cat Rescue and um, Carol Baskin. Oh, speaking of, mm -hmm. as a really short aside, because people know that I do do the work for Big Cat Rescue, um, there was a Lincoln, Massachusetts this week. Did you see the serval? That someone owned. It's I illegal. Did. Just for everyone to know, it's illegal to own lions, cougars, bobcats, servals, African savanna cats, et cetera, et cetera. All of those cats. You're not supposed to own those in Massachusetts. We're trying to get the Big Cat Act passed so you cannot own, buy, breed, trade, touch, or sell any of the exotic animals to that degree in any state because they are obviously over overdone and overbred and abused and neglected and done for the wrong purposes so the big cat act if you go to the big cat act um at big cat rescue and you can contact your local massachusetts already has outlawed it but we're trying to do the whole country to have it done so anyone that currently i mean there's certainly owners that i'm very compassionate to that own their servals and their bobcats and all those things in, in yep. states that have it they're not going to lose them people think oh my god i'm gonna have to give up my whatever in states where it's still legal, according to what I understand, they will still be grandfathered in to keep whatever, as long as they're not breeding and trading and selling and so on. But we're trying to get that law passed because to the point in Lincoln, Massachusetts, somehow someone had a serval, which isn't un unusual, but someone had it. And of course, the serval either got out, they let it out. And now this poor serval who cannot be let out into the wild because they're not yeah. from the United States, um, who's been loved and touched and cared for all these years, whatever, was out roaming around. Now he's no longer doing that. He will be going to a sanctuary. Yeah. Um, and, um, a, you know, a global federation of animal sanctuary credited one. Thank God. Um, going to keep his legs? I know there was some problems. He had broken a leg or something. So he, so he had somehow he either broken a leg or somebody broke his leg or whatever. So, but I believe that he was saved. I believe. Okay. As, I'm all, I'm almost 100 percent sure he was saved and he's being given to a sanctuary that is asked for him. That's accredited, not one of the not at the Joe Exotics of the universe that are terrible and awful and would have like done something terrible to him but um and to that point that was such a beautiful he's such a beautiful animal yeah stunning, yeah. Beautiful, yeah stunning servals are spectacular they'll pee all over your house by the way <laughs> um just in case you ever want to own a beautiful serval they will pee pee all over your house which is why when Justin justin bieber when he first got married to whatever her name is um i think her name is oh it's Haley baldwin so he they got two he and I had a little back and forth online about the fact that well he's gonna have a pee he's gonna have pee pee Oliver's fifty thousand yeah. dollar you know yeah Asian rug that he loves um because and then he lost them they got out and of course he lost one or two and then they're back but nonetheless you know um but when you have that kind of money that's why you you know because they're very expensive to own um and to that point just to to harp harp on it a little bit in my in my pulpit is um the sadness of the fact that at the Naples Zoo last week, um, 
a person who did not work for the Naples Zoo, a, you know, if, if people didn't know the story, essentially a contractor that was there, whatever, somehow got himself into the enclosure of Echo, a beautiful Malayan um, tiger who had to be euthanized on the spot because the guy apparently wanted to touch the tiger and whatever. And and this poor tiger who was doing tiger things that tigers are supposed to do to protect his environment and also, you know, hurt him. And so they killed him to be able to get the guy out of the enclosure, et cetera. So this is why we don't have buying, breeding, trading, touching, selling, and we don't want people to have access to that because people do this stuff all the time. They jump over five fences and enclosures and get themselves into places. And then who suffers? Yes, the human being suffers, but they put themselves in that place. The tiger didn't, and this poor tiger lost lost his life for nothing. (laughs) And so for everyone that's like, how could you be so unloving about the man who, well, he put himself there. I'm very concerned for his fingers or his arm or whatever happened to him. But it's not the same as someone losing their arm who works with the cat who had something bad happen to them as a result. This is a person who actively put themselves from what I hear could be wrong in the position of wanting to pet the cat. Well, this is what I'm saying. It wasn't a keeper who just happened to have an accident happen to them. And because we know of people who've had accidents with tigers and the tiger has not been euthanized because it was an accident because the tiger was doing tiger things and it was an accident. This does not appear by all accounts to be an accident. He was not supposed to be there. So there's my pulpit for the day. Yeah, wow. I know, right? Yeah, it's a shame. I know. So anyway, so um, if people are interested, in it, go to the Big Cat Act or go to bigcatrescue.org, and you can do you can text cats to five. You have to go there because now, of course, the the text number went out of my head. Um, <laughs> but you can go there and and uh, and you contact through an email to your local representatives across the country to tell them that you support the Big Cat Act so that you can protect these lovely lives of very few cats that are left in the wild um, and also being overbred and used for bad things here in this country and other countries. All right. So, next week's show at our regular time on oh, Wednesday. That's nice. Now you shutting me off. Huh? I'm not shutting you off. I'm Whatever. doing the job, helping you out. Oh, oh wait. So um, just so you know, I had someone just text me on the backside that said they put the link for yes. what I was just talking about in the, in the, um, in the, um, Chat yeah. on the side. Abby put it in the comments. And thank you, Abby, for putting that there. Um, and so thank you. There's your link. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. <laughs> um, yeah, so back to normal time next week. Same time, same bad channel. Next week on the 12th at 9.45 a.m. And we'll be talking more about how to micro goal your January. All right, you guys have a great week. And Lou, I'll be here when you go off so that we okay. can chat. Bye, everyone. Bye.